Brad Hill here. There is no better way to share a story than around a campfire. And if you are in the Mobile Bay area, there is no better place to get firewood than our friends at Mobile Bay Firewood. This is a family-owned business, and I personally love using their easy-to-light kiln-dried firewood in my fire pit. So use promo code MBFTSO for $15 off of your next order at mobilebayfirewood.com. Longtime friends of the podcast, the Growly Leather Company is a family-owned leather goods company in southern Alabama. All of their leather goods are designed and handcrafted to come alongside you in your daily life, share in your adventures, and reflect your character. Brian and I both enjoy products from Growly Leather. So visit GrowlyLeather.com and use promo code TSO2022 for a 15% discount at checkout. Find you a leather journal and fill it with stories from the storied outdoors. This is the Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. Welcome to the Storied Outdoors, a special Christmas series where each day this week we will feature a different short story from Dr. Brian Gill. Today's story is a repeat on the show entitled Hidden Wonders, and it's read for you by Brad Hill. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 The flashing red letters scrolling across the airport flight board was a sure sign of a ruined trip for the Heatherfords. They were on the final leg of their flight itinerary from Chicago to the Gulf Coast for Christmas vacation. But fate would have it that a blizzard was engulfing the South, grounding any southbound flights out of New York. Grant tried to think of a plan quickly and offered his family to have a New York Christmas, just like in the movies. The twins... Jenna and Drew quickly shot down that idea. Although they were only 10 years old, they were dead set on a Christmas away from the city and on the coast with warm weather and sunshine. I'm really sorry, kids, but the coast is out of the question this year. By the time the blizzard blows over and the flights are back up and running, the hotel will have already given up our room. Jenna and Drew plopped on the floor with bags in hand, deflated from the grim news. Don't you have a great uncle in Connecticut? asked Grant's wife, Jessica. Uncle Doc? questioned Grant. Yeah, but I haven't seen him in years. I'd hate to drop in and drop in on him unannounced. Can't we just call them? His house is big enough to fit our family, right? Honey, Uncle Doc? Really? He's really old, and I haven't seen him in years. That's all the more reason to go visit him. Besides, it's Christmas. I'm sure he'd love to see his family. I don't even have his number or his address. Before he could finish his sentence, Jenna held her phone up to her dad's face and said, 
here it is what but but how I wrote him a thank you letter one time for a present he sent me you gave me his contact info and I saved it I see said Grant somewhat amazed I don't know it's so late and we'll be there well after dark when we get there and it's probably too late to even rent a car and I've got an SUV and it's waiting outside said Jessica staring at her phone <laughs> Drew pulled off his earbuds and said it's only a two-hour drive dad I don't care if it's not the beach I just don't want to be in the city not Chicago and not New York this map looks like Uncle Doc lives on the Connecticut River. That could be fun. It's kind of beachy, right? Grant sighed. He does, and it is. It's actually a beautiful old house, and I have a lot of fond memories there. He paused and surveyed his children's longing eyes and limited options. All right, let's go. I hope he doesn't mind us dropping in unannounced. They pulled through the iron gate and meandered down the long driveway which bordered a 200-year-old stone wall. It was covered with decades of moss and centuries of history. On the other side of the wall, a grand pasture stretched as far as they could see until it reached the tree line of evergreens on opposite ends of the estate. Soon, the mansion came into view and it was breathtaking. Four wooden gables stretched across the front of the stonework home. A fountain surrounded by neatly pruned boxwoods centered the circular pebble driveway. Two gargoyles stood above the entryway, daring anyone with ill intentions to approach the iron and wooden doors at the top of the limestone stairs. The twins were speechless as their noses pressed against the windows, fogging up the glass. Here we are, said Grant. The Sheppin. The whatin? asked Jenna. Drew giggled. The Sheppin, Grant repeated. It's an old English word that means to create. Kids, now listen, Uncle Doc is very eccentric and does things differently than we do. They're not wrong or bad, just different. Like naming his house, asked Drew. Like naming his house, confirmed Jessica. The sun was beginning to set as the enormous door burst open. Uncle Doc flew off the steps with his robe blowing in the wind like a cape. He had wild hair, bushy sideburns, and a full white unkept beard. He frantically waved the family inside without once questioning why they were there. Grant tried to greet him and was promptly shushed and herded inside the mansion. Yes, 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 we'll talk later. You must hurry or you'll miss it. Come along now, you've got to hurry or you'll miss it. Come inside quickly. Come along now. He switched glances from the setting sun to the mansion and back to the setting sun. Yes, yes, yes. Leave your things. We'll get inside and we'll gather your bags later. Hurry along now. Once inside, Uncle Doc positioned each of the Heatherfords in a unique place around the great room overlooking the river. Okay, stay right there, 
You mustn't move or you'll miss it. Turn to face the wall of windows and wringed his hands with anticipation. Here it comes! Here it comes! He threw his hands in the air and shouted victoriously as the setting sun fell precisely behind the cluster of prisms at the base of the crescent-shaped glass windowpane in the center of the wall. The room was suddenly transformed into a myriad of colors that danced on every surface in the house. The Heatherfords stood in awe as they gazed in wide-eyed wonder at the million rays of light that seemed to have a life of their own. Look, said Jenna, there are unicorns in the lights and dragons and knights on horseback, echoed Drew. I can't believe my eyes, said Jessica. They're dancing fairies and woodland creatures having a tea party. Uncle Doc smiled. His glasses were thin and crooked on his rosy cheeks. He walked over to Gran and grabbed him by the face with both hands, cupping his lower jaw. Grant, my child, you remember. How could I ever forget, Grant asked. It was the first time I was able to see something that truly was not there. Or had it always been there, and you hadn't paid attention until then. Sometimes we're only able to see things when we are ready, quipped Uncle Doc. But it doesn't mean they weren't there all along. And sometimes, he paused, sometimes the most real things in life are never seen at all. The lights soon faded as the sun set behind the trees on the western bank of the Connecticut River. The faces of the children were still glowing as Jenna asked, Uncle Doc, what was that? You must be Jenna, he said. Do you know that I still have a thank you note you wrote to me several years ago? I remember you drew a flower. A daisy, to be specific. Jenna smiled and nodded. What you just witnessed was the setting of the sun on the winter solstice. This window is specifically designed to capture the last rays of sunlight in a special way, one time a year. Today, as it were. It's the shortest day of the year, and I've commemorated it in my house to be the most beautiful sunset able to be experienced indoors. A glorious tribute to the long-awaited winter. And I'm thrilled you're able to experience it with me. He sighed as though he'd been exercising and then exhaled. Standing with his mouth agape and a frozen smile, it occurred to him, Oh my! What in the dickens are you all doing here? Is everyone all right? Is there anyone ill? Oh no, it isn't the cat, is it? Did your cat pass away? Oh, sweet children, I'm so sorry. I know what we'll do. We shall have tea, a tea of remembrance for the beloved cat. What was his name? Fluffy? Oh, Felix or Frisky? Ah, oh, never mind, I'll fetch the kettle in. While you all relax, he paused abruptly. Just to be clear, you didn't actually bring the cat with you, did you? <laughs> that should present a whole new dilemma. Oh, poor Fluff Fluff. 
sweet little feline. The twins giggled behind their mother as Grant explained. No, Uncle Doc, nobody died, and no one is ill. And we don't, we don't own a cat. We're actually headed down to the Gulf Coast for Christmas. And our flight out of New York was canceled because of the blizzard. The kids really don't want to spend Christmas in the city this year. And we're wondering, if you don't mind, if we could spend the holiday with you. Christmas at the Sheppin! Why, that's a grand idea! He threw his hands in the air and then began to stroke his beard. Oh, let's see. Uh, I'll need to hurry, I guess. There'll need to be lights and a tree. Yes, definitely a tree and garland and presents. But of course, we could just let Santa bring those. That might work. No, no, no. There should be more presents that he could bring. Not in one night, of course. And cakes, of course, and macaroons. Oh, I just love macaroons. And tiny sausages you eat with toothpicks. And punch. One for the kids and one for the adults, of course. Uncle Doc faded out of hearing distance as he walked into the next room. And suddenly he returned. Well, aren't you coming? We've got work to do. Grab your things and follow me to your rooms. The family scurried to grab their bags from the rental car and followed him up the spiral staircase to the second floor. He led them to the children's rooms where two twin beds were covered in a dingy sheet. Stand back now, it's going to be quite dusty. He slid the sheets off the bed and a cloud covered the room. Oh, but don't fret, it's not manky. I'll get the broom, said Jessica. Oh, there'll be no need for that, my love, Uncle Doc said. You haven't seen my latest discovery. He clapped his hands and a buzzing sound came down the hallway as a disc-shaped vacuum cleaner entered the bedroom. It's a robot that cleans your room. I wish I'd had one of these when I was here, glad. She'll be finished in a bit. Let's go find your parents' room. The next morning, the Heatherfords woke to the smell of peppermint and pastries and the sound of clanging pans echoing from the kitchen. A Victrola turntable was playing in Andy Williams' Christmas album, and Uncle Doc was singing along an octave too high. Crackling maple logs were ablaze in the fireplace, and above it hung five tattered stockings, surrounded by strands of fragrant garland, and bright gold ribbon and shiny holly twigs with tiny red berries. The furniture had been shoved to one side of the great room, the perfect location for a freshly cut evergreen. However, there was not a tree. Not yet, at least. When Jen and Drew rounded the corner, they startled Uncle Doc and a plume of flower filled the air. Oh my, I didn't see you come in. Come on, come on, sit here and I'll bring you your breakfast. What do you like with your coffee? Cream? Sugar? Hmm? Honey? Prunes? Dates? The children laughed and reminded him they were too young for coffee. Of course, yes, yes, yes. Well, how about we settle for chocolate milk? Their eyes lit up. Now, so far, the most important question hasn't been asked. They, they looked puzzled. Do you know what the most important question of the day is so far, Jenna? Drew? They shook their heads no. Uncle Doc threw his index finger into the air and exclaimed as though he were delivering a lecture at the university. 
The most important question of the day is not if we will or will not have chocolate milk for breakfast. No, 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 dear children. The most important question is, will this chocolate milk be hot or cold? Hot, they shouted. He stammered back as though their shouts were blowing him down and caught himself on the edge of the countertop. Very well done, class. I say very well done. Indeed, you make excellent pupils. Now the next question is not as important, but still significant. It is... The children were on the edge of their seats, awaiting the next test with great anticipation. Oh, never mind, it's not important. He glanced at them, out of the side of his eye. You probably wouldn't like it anyway. What is it? asked Jenna. Yeah, what is it? repeated Drew. Uncle Doc turned away, pretending to be preoccupied on the opposite side of the kitchen. Oh, it's nothing, never mind. It's just that you wouldn't have any useful... He quickly spun around and said, Whipped cream, would you? Yes, exclaimed the twins. With cinnamon? Yes, they shouted. And sprinkles? Yes. And dates? No, no, not dates. They acted as though they'd been asked to eat a charred maple log instead of a fruit. Very well, very well. Suit yourself. I'll just eat yours. But you're missing out, you know. Uncle Doc flew to the stove and clicked the gas igniter until a blue flame whooshed around the copper pot sitting on the grate. He carefully poured the milk into the saucepan and whisked in the cocoa powder and sugar. It continued to stir until all the milk was a creamy brown, and then he added chocolate chips and a splash of what he called his secret ingredient, which was a vanilla extract. But this was not any ordinary vanilla extract. It was pure vanilla extract from Madagascar. He mixed and stirred and regulated the heat all the while telling the story of how he procured this particular jar of vanilla extract while he was visiting a remote village in Madagascar. The twins were enthralled at his ability to tell the story and their minds never wandered as he recounted every detail of his adventure. The kitchen timer dinged, and his head popped up as if something had bitten him. He scurried to the oven and removed the pan. Who wants chocolate chip scones? Both children raised their hands. He brought the scones on a plate that matched the mug in which he served them hot chocolate topped with whipped cream, cinnamon, and crumbled peppermint. The children drank their sweet drink, and didn't come up for air until they'd both emerged with a frothy mustache and a sigh. Now, about today, started Uncle Doc, we have a lot to do. We need to get dressed and go cut a Christmas tree. We'll need to string the lights, light the star, and bake the cookies for Santa. Drew looked at Jenna and hung his head. Uncle Doc noticed the glance and asked what was the matter. We don't believe in Santa Claus anymore, Jenna said. We know all about it. Yeah, we looked it up online, continued Drew. Aha, online, he scoffed. Online. Any imbecile with a keyboard can put something online. The twins hung their heads, somewhat ashamed. Uncle Doc stroked his beard and nodded. 
I see. I see. That's very interesting. Yes, yes. Very interesting, indeed. Children who don't believe in Santa. Hmm. It's fascinating, really. What? What is it? asked Jenna. Oh, it's nothing, dismissed Uncle Doc. Really? asked Drew. What are they teaching children in schools these days? Uncle Doc mumbled. It's, it's nothing. It's just like saying you don't believe in Santa Claus is like saying you don't believe in Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. or Napoleon, for that matter. But he's made up. He's not real. I read it on the internet, argued Drew. My child, I'm not sure if you're ready for the truth. And I'm not sure if I'm ready to tell you the truth about Santa. It might be too much for you to handle. But he's not real, right? My child, just because you keep repeating your claim doesn't make it any truer than the first time you said it. And just because you claim that it is untrue doesn't make it so. True things are true whether we like to believe them or not. Our belief in things that are true are irrelevant to the validity, my dear. Children, they look perplexed. Oh, never mind. I knew you weren't ready. Now go ahead, finish your scones and get dressed. Like I said, we have a lot to do today. Chop, chop, he clapped. The children and their parents came downstairs soon after, changing clothes. None of them were prepared for the chilly weather of the Northeast, as they had only packed for the Gulf Coast. They had to borrow coats before trekking into the woods to find the perfect Christmas tree. After donning coats from Uncle Doc, they looked like the four Pevensey children entering the snow-covered Narnia through the wardrobe. Except there would be no great lions or lamppost in this wood. Only a quest to find the perfect evergreen. As they walked to the edge of the meadow, Drew and Jenna were whispering behind Uncle Doc. Finally, Jenna mustered the courage to ask him a question. What did you mean earlier, Uncle Doc? You know, about Santa Claus being real. Uncle Doc brushed her off coldly and continued to walk at a brisk pace where he knew he'd find a beautiful tree. The children followed with their parents not far behind. They were frustrated and curious and continued to pry at Uncle Doc, only to be met with resistance and deflection. Aha! exclaimed Uncle Doc. It's perfect! He gazed at a sparsely limbed tree that wasn't at all what the children had anticipated along their hike. He took his saw and handed it to Grant and said, Oh, this is it! Cut her down for our Christmas tree, my good man! But it's not really all that full, said Drew. Uncle Doc knelt down and whispered into Drew's ear, Sometimes you have to look past what you see, so you can see what is actually there, my child. He winked and ruffled his hair underneath his stocking cap. was the muffled sound of the saw as Grant dug the tooth blade across the feathered bark of the trunk. The tree fell with a thud. Oh, very well. Everyone grab a limb and follow me. Everyone grabbed a limb. Everyone except for Uncle Doc, of course. He led the way out of the forest and through the meadow and into the old house, 
past the foyer, and into the great room, where he had prepared the perfect nook for the tree inside for the next few days. Grant and Jessica helped secure the tree, and then decided to drive to the market to get groceries for dinner and Christmas Day. Once the tree was erected, Uncle Doc noticed that Jenna was trying to remove a pine cone from one of the limbs. Uncle Doc stopped her and said, Ah! Aha! We mustn't remove nature's own ornaments, my dear. He fetched a small jar of silver paint and a brush from a nearby cabinet and handed it to her. Instead of destroying them, he said, let us accentuate them. Then he pulled out a box of neatly packed Christmas lights, the large colorful kind that screwed into a green cord. When the lights were strung, he stood back and admired its beauty. What about ornaments? asked Drew. Where are the ornaments? Uncle Doc glanced out of the side of his eye at the young boy who seemed to be slowly regaining his Christmas spirit. Drew looked away swiftly. Now, what kind of Christmas tree would this be without ornaments? Uncle Doc asked. Then he darted to another room where he returned. He was carrying a box of scrap wood, cardboard, loose-leaf paper, pipe cleaners, glitter crayons, markers, and an assortment of glue and tape. We shall create them. Shepin, uttered Jenna. Yes, yes, Jenna, Shepin. Good work, my child, good work, exclaimed Uncle Doc. Jenna grabbed a bundle of materials and made a flower out of cardboard and markers and glued a pipe cleaner on the back to serve as a hook to hang on a limb. Drew was not fond of crafts and sat idly off to the side, scrolling through his phone. Uncle Doc held the flower high like a trophy and exclaimed to Jenna, I'll keep it as long as I live. She smiled sweetly and resumed her ornament creating. Uncle Doc walked over to Drew, who was nose deep into his smartphone game, and said, Do you know who invented the smartphone? Drew looked up, somewhat confused, and said, Huh? Do you know who invented the smartphone? Uncle Doc repeated, The Apple dude? asked Drew. Who? No, no. The person who invented the smartphone was someone who didn't have a smartphone, said Uncle Doc. What, what do you mean? asked Drew. I mean you'll never learn to be creative and build something of your own if all you do is have your nose stuck in that device all the time, answered Uncle Doc. But I've reached level 50,000. Congratulations, you've managed to manipulate ones and zeros to 50,000th level. Now won't you stop fighting your imagination and join us? Drew reluctantly tossed his phone onto the chair and decided to join Jenna and Uncle Doc. Excellent. Now what shall we create? I don't know, said Drew. Jenna scolded him with her eyes. Come on, Drew. Wouldn't you make something with us? I know how you like to draw at home. Why don't you draw something and then make it? Drew knew she was right. He did like to draw. But somewhere deep down inside himself, he didn't feel like drawing. He didn't understand the point of it all. Then he burst out in a most unexpected way. But Santa isn't real. I know he's not. 
I know it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. How can one man do all that in one night? Jenna stopped cutting with her scissors. Uncle Doc hung his head and slowly walked to the record player and removed the needle with a scratch. The music stopped. Yeah. Hmm. Come with me, Uncle Doc said to the children. His face was solemn and his voice was resolute. I have something to show you. Something that I think, yes, I think will help you. Uncle Doc led them to his study where walls lined with books surrounded a large dark wooden desk. Behind the desk was a grand window with rectangular panes and thick curtains. There were statues of Shakespeare, Homer, Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle scattered among the piles of dusty books and papers. A wooden cross hung above the door and a green lamp illuminated the corner of his messy desk. Behind the desk was a burgundy tufted leather chair that sat crooked to one side, awaiting a sitter. Uncle Doc walked behind the desk, drew the curtains, and sat in the chair with a quarter spin to face the desk. He reached for the lowest drawer and fumbled with the key locked until it released. He removed the contents of the drawer and revealed a wooden box not much larger than a cigar box. He sat it on the table and looked at the children. They stared back at him with blank expressions on their faces. What is that? asked Jenna. Yeah, what is that? echoed Drew. Uncle Doc stroked his fingers along the roped edge of the ornate lid. He smiled and patted the box gently. This, my child, is this is something I think will help you in your current predicament. The children watched anxiously as he began to remove newspaper clippings, articles, and pages from books that looked to be hundreds of years old. I've uh, spent much of my life studying things that are invisible. Take, for instance, sound waves. They're all around us. You hear them. You enjoy them with your ears and when a record is played on my Victoria table. But you cannot see them. Or consider the wind. You see the effects of the wind in a way a leaf is blown and tossed around the forest and into the meadow. And you feel the chill of the approaching winter when the wind whooshes over your exposed skin. But you cannot see the wind. Are these things any less real than to say the record that helps create the sound or the leaf that is blown about? The children stood speechless with their eyes fixed on the old man. Of course not, continued Uncle Doc. There are things in this world, while very real, are magically hidden wonders, concealed from the world because they aren't ready to behold the fullness of their beauty. Our senses are too one-dimensional and our minds are too limited to comprehend the sight of a melody or the image of a breeze. I'm afraid it would be too much for beauty to digest within the current capacity of our present bodies. But one day, one day, I believe we will fully see what this world was intended to look like. 
one day, but until then we rely on faith to understand the unseen. So what I'm about to tell you will require a bit of faith to believe. But in the same way you believe in sound or wind, you can believe in what I'm going to tell you. The truth about Santa Claus. In the year 300, there was a man of God who lived in Myra, a city in Greece. Well, it's actually present-day Turkey, but never mind all that. Anyway, this man's name was Father Nicholas, and he was the Bishop of Myra. This man was loved by many and did many great things for the people under his leadership in the church. Nicholas was known for his kindness and since he was born in a wealthy family, he notoriously gave gifts of gold coins to the children who lived in his town. Did he give them at Christmas? Like Santa Claus? asked Jenna. Drew stood with his arms crossed. Yes, 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 I'm getting to that part. Patience, my child, patience. Now where was I? Nichols gave coins to the children at Christmas, assisted Jenna. Oh, precisely. Well, you see, Nicholas wasn't giving the children gifts because they were good little boys and girls. He gave them out of his love for God. And as bishop in the Catholic Church, his service to his Lord Jesus Christ. Over time, this became known to the Emperor Diocletian. And he didn't approve of such extravagant displays of faith. He was not a kind emperor, in fact. He was not a good man at all. So, at the order of the emperor, the government banned Father Nicholas from giving gifts, and he was persecuted badly for his faith. He was imprisoned, and instead of killing him, the emperor exiled him out of the country. Where did they send him? asked Drew. Uncle Doc leaned in closely and said, Hmm, very little is known about his exile. He pulled a mahogany-colored pipe from the carousel on his desk and packed it with tobacco that smelled like cookies baking in the oven. He lit the bowl with a match and, after a long draw, puffed a double ring of smoke into the air and it hovered above his head like a halo. Mm. Yes, yes, very little is known. But some reports indicate that he was sent to the outermost region of Greenland. Do you know where Greenland is? The children shook their heads, and he pointed the stem of his pipe in the direction of a large globe in the corner of the rim. Go ahead, have a look. They scurried to the globe and spun it until they found the white continent of Greenland. Jenna traced her finger to the uppermost part of the country and jerked her head around to Uncle Doug. That's close to the North Pole, she exclaimed. Yes, quite close, actually. You see, the emperor thought this would be a death sentence to Father Nicholas, because it's utterly inhabitable. And yet, there were accounts of fur traders happening upon a small man with white hair and a bushy beard, bundled in layer upon layer of coats, and being pulled in a sled by some type of antlered animal. A reindeer? asked Drew. Quite possibly, and in fact it's most likely that it was a reindeer. Uncle Doc puffed on his pipe. 
You see, these traders made notes and indicated that the man was, and I quote, jolly. By the way, he laughed and greeted them with handmade gifts. Was it Father Nicholas? asked Drew, stroking his finger on the raised texture of the globe's surface. Uncle Doc puffed his fragrant pipe again and said, "Mm, Nobody knows, but what we do know is that he never returned to Mira, and yet, mysteriously, the gifts kept coming to the children. Some people say that he died there in exile, but that was never proven. That's when the church declared him St. Nicholas, rather than Father Nicholas. Others, and the ones that I believe are correct, say that the same spirit of charity that lived in him, the Spirit of God, in fact still lives in all who believe, but most of all, it lives in the hearts of little children all over the world. But Uncle Doc, where did those gifts come from? demanded Drew. Uncle Doc shrugged his shoulders. Does it matter? If you were to ask Father Nicholas that question, he would tell you that they come from God, just as it is with all good gifts. But I believe you're asking a quite different question, and my answer is, does it matter? When I sent Jenna a birthday present through this mail, did she send the mailman thank you note for giving her a gift? No, of course not. She sent me the most beautiful thank-you card with a daisy drawn on it. He pointed his pipe to the edge of his desk, where the very same card Jenna had sent him was displayed. You see, I believe the spirit of charity, the spirit of God, the same spirit Santa believed in, still lives today. In fact, I believe there's a little bit of Santa in each of us. Yes, there's something inside every one of us that longs to believe in the impossible, to see the invisible, think the unfathomable. And until I die, I believe that the same spirit that changed a man from Father Nicholas to Saint Nicholas lives inside of me too. Drew's eyes were curious. He walked over to the desk and placed his hands on the edge. He gazed at his white beard and jolly smile and sweet scented pipe, and he looked Uncle Doc straight in the eyes and asked, Uncle Doc, do you think Santa will visit your house this year? Uncle Doc laughed his contagious laugh, held his pipe in his hand, and reached across the desk to place his free hand on Drew's cheek and smiled. Now that is the spirit. We hope you've enjoyed this special Christmas edition of The Storied Outdoors, a story called Hidden Wonders, written by Brian Gill. We know and understand that there are lots of podcasts you can be listening to, and we're uh, so grateful that you've taken time to listen to to these stories and conversations. We hope they encourage you. If they do, we'd love it if you'd take some time to write us a review and leave us a rating on whatever podcast platform that you use. It'd be a huge blessing to us and to help us continue to grow um, this podcast. So we hope they encourage you. We hope they challenge you to write your own stories and share your own adventures in the storied outdoors.